0: Well, welcome again to Calvary. We're glad that you've joined us. Those in the room, those watching um, online, it's good to be back with you. I was gone last week, but I trust that you're blessed by the message that Dr. Jeff Jones brought. And um, just to bring some clarity to the kind of how the next couple of weeks are going to unfold, I've had a few of you say, is this your last Sunday? Um, a little eagerly, I thought, that question. And I'm joking. I'm joking. i um, but I'm, gonna, I'm here today, um, I'll be preaching next Sunday, uh, which is the third, and then on the 10th we're going to have an installation service. Some of you have never been in a church that was going through pastoral transition, um, and so the way it's going to work is, I'll, my, last Sunday will be my last Sunday preaching, but then I'll also be here on the 10th um, for a, an installation service where um, I'll be here, Pastor Stephen will be here, and we're going to have a guest preacher preach the word. And uh, it's really a day to celebrate God's faithfulness to this church. You know, this church is not about any one person. This is an outpost of the gospel. And um, through different pastors, different seasons, different members, uh, we really maintain our focus on our mission, which is to make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that Christ commanded. Uh, As Jesus said, as he left the earth to go reign in heaven, And so it's really a time to celebrate, and I appreciate all of your kind words, and it's good to be back with you this morning. Well, we are continuing today our sermon series titled, Born Again. So I invite you to turn to John chapter 3. Today we'll finish the series um, on uh, looking at verses 17 through 21. John chapter 3, 17 through 21, the title of the message is, The Verdict Is In. We all love those uh, shows, true crime shows, where you watch a trial unfold and there's always that moment you're looking for where the jury comes back with a verdict and that's always sort of the climactic moment of the story. Well, our story of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus um, faces a similar climax in today's passage, so I invite you to follow along with me as I read John chapter 3, verses 17. I'll actually start in verse 16 and read through verse 21, and then I'll pray for us. And let me just once again encourage you not only open your Bible, but please keep it open uh, because we are together studying God's Word. It is His Word that is our authority, and so it's helpful if you keep your Bible open. Hear now the Word of the Lord For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. But have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because, of their, because their works are evil. For everyone who does, does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Father, I ask now that you would give me grace to, to accurately proclaim your word. Give us all grace to hear and grace to obey. Lord, I pray especially for the grace of salvation, your saving grace. I pray, God, that you would issue by the power of your Spirit the effectual call that can draw men out of darkness and into light. I don't possess that power, God, but you do. Lord, we also pray for those in our congregation that are experiencing trials. Pray for those who are sick and at home. We pray for those who are facing hardships at work. We pray for those families that are experiencing turmoil. It comes in various shapes and sizes. Lord, we lift up our families, we lift up our marriages, we lift up our bodies, our whole selves to you, and pray that you would heal us and that you would deliver us. God, we also pray for the grace to endure the trials. All of us are going through some trial, and Lord, it's your grace, it's your strength, as we've just sung, that sees us through. So I pray, Lord, that we would experience that grace this morning as we turn to your word. That this conversation between our Lord Jesus and this man Nicodemus would not just be voices from the past, but by your spirit, powerful transformational truth for the present. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I heard a story recently on NPR's program Fresh Air about a woman who grew up watching The Sound of Music. I love The Sound of Music. Great musical, love the movie. And she loved the movie too, The Sound of Music. But as an adult, she was talking about The Sound of Music with one of her coworkers and they mentioned to her the wedding scene. You know, the wedding scene where Maria marries Captain Von Trapp. But she had no idea what this person was talking about. You see, in her mind, they never got married. The movie ended for her when, Ma- when Maria reconnects the children and their father at the ballroom scene at the house. The kids sing on the stairs, you know, it's all very cute. And then that Captain Von Trapp realizes his love for his children, and, and Maria sees that Captain Von Trapp kind of has feelings for her. And so if you remember, she leaves. She leaves and she goes back to the Abbey. You see, that's where the movie that she knew ended because she only watched act one. Remember, The Sound of Music was one of those old-fashioned types of movies where there was an intermission where you got to get up and use the restroom and get some popcorn. I wish we still had those. But see, back when she watched the movie, it was on VHS and the movie was in two cassettes. But she only owned the first cassette. (laughs) She had only seen the first act. And so the movie she loved didn't have a wedding, it didn't have the Nazis invading, it didn't have the family fleeing, which of course is the whole story. But if you stop at intermission, if you never see the second part, you walk away with a very different story. Well, for many church-going Christians, John 3 ends with verse 16. In fact, their whole theology stops at verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, that's an amazing verse, but it's in a context. And the context is this, the fact that eternal life is amazing. The fact that we can be forgiven, the fact that the good news that God saves by grace alone through Jesus Christ, the reason that that is good news is in the context of some bad news. That's kind of how life is, isn't it? I mean, if a doctor were to walk into the office and say, good news, there's a cure for what you got, you'd go, whoa, whoa, The good news only makes sense if the bad news has been delivered. If the doctor comes in and says, you have a disease, that's the bad news. And then if he says, but there's a cure, that's the good news. And so our passage today tells us about the good news, that God saves us the moment we trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus against the backdrop of bad news. And the bad news is clear. The verdict is in Jesus says all humanity has been found guilty. High treason against God, against a holy God, sentenced to eternal death, eternal condemnation. Jesus says the verdict is in and we are all guilty. Now you might be sitting here thinking, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm not guilty. Never done anything really bad. That's what Nicodemus thought. Remember, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. He is a religious leader, and Nicodemus thinks he needs directions to heaven. Hey, Jesus, can you help me out with directions? But Jesus says, you don't just need directions to heaven. You need someone to accomplish for you what you cannot accomplish for yourself. Jesus has some bad news for Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're not as good as you think. Matter of fact, Nicodemus, you're not good in God's eyes at all. You are a sinner. And so this morning's sermon is two parts. Part one, Jesus's mission is to save. Verse 17, if you'd look there with me, says that Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. The word condemn means to pronounce judgment. So it is appropriate to imagine a courtroom where the jury comes in and the judge says, jury, have you reached a verdict? And the jury foreman says, yes, Your Honor, we have. We find the defendant guilty. Jesus didn't come to pronounce judgment. That wasn't His mission. His mission, verse 17, is to save, that through Him, the world might be saved. Now, there is a mistake that some Christians make in thinking, believing in something called universal salvation, which is the view that everyone is saved. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that in order that anyone who believes might be saved. And so Jesus is pronouncing his general love for the world, for humanity, and he says anyone in humanity, whether you're young or old, whether you've had a good life or a bad life, whether you're rich or poor, no matter your race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, nationality, anyone who believes in Jesus can be saved. God didn't need Jesus to come into the world to pronounce the guilt of the world. That's what Jesus is saying. Not because the world isn't guilty. The world is guilty. I'm guilty and you're guilty. Jesus didn't need to come into the world to pronounce guilt because God had already given humanity the law. And the law reveals our sin. In Romans 7, 7, Paul says, I would not have known sin but by the law. And Paul in Romans chapter 1 says, even people that don't have the written law know that they should do certain things that they don't do. Even people that have never heard the Old Testament know that they shouldn't lie, but they do. People know that they should worship the one true living God, but they find themselves worshiping the things of this world. The law exposes our sin. And when you read the law, take, for example, the Ten Commandments. Take, for example, God's command to honor our mother and our father. All of us can admit, surely, that we have, at one point in our life, not honored our mother and our father. I won't ask you to raise your hand. But we've all talked back. We've all manipulated. We've all lied. We've all sinned. And you think, well, I mean, how bad is that really? Well, the Bible says that God is holy. And how many, how many sins does it take to be cast out of his presence? Go back to the Garden of Eden. Just one. Just one sin Separates you from God. Just one sin against an eternal, holy God incurs an eternal judgment. Just one sin, and all of us have racked up a lot more than that. Paul says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But of course, our problem isn't just one sin, it's daily sin. It's sin to the core. It's that we're dead in sin. Benjamin Franklin, many of you know the great American forefather that was instrumental in America's revolutionary peace between the United States and England, was in France. And Benjamin Franklin, when he was a young man, came up with a list of virtues, and he put a little box by each virtue, and he tried to check all the virtues he exhibited every day. And he couldn't find a single day when he checked all the right boxes and didn't check the wrong boxes. And if you were to do the same thing, you would have the same experience. Every day you fall short. Look at verse 19. This is the verdict that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Our works are evil because we love the darkness. Jesus before he saves us, before we're born again, we all walk habitually in sin. We love the dark. We run from the light every chance that we get. Let me give you a big term. Theologians call this total depravity. Not that we're as bad as we could be. You could be worse. But that in us, there is no righteousness. In us, there is nothing good. In us, there is Nothing that God would look at and be impressed with. Remember, John has told us this at the end of chapter 2. It says that Jesus didn't need anybody to affirm him because he knew what was in us. And so this is the amazing thing about grace is that God knows what's in us. He knows the darkness in us. He knows how we run from the light into the darkness. He knows how we love the darkness and yet he loves us. Genesis 6, 5, you can write this verse down, says that the Lord saw the wickedness of man on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continuously. You want a good summary of human, humanity apart from God? There it is. Only evil continually. Evil continually, that's what sets us apart from God. Apart from God, apart from faith in Christ, apart from the gospel, apart from the work of the Spirit. We will live in the dark, we will wallow in our sins, we will love the darkness, we will never come into the light. No wonder Jesus says, if you want to inherit eternal life, you must be born again. You must be made new. The Spirit of God must recreate you and bring you out of the darkness and into the light or else you would stay in the darkness forever. This is an amazing thing. If you're in the light this morning, if you are trusting in Jesus, if you are seeking to follow Jesus, if you are confessing your sin, that's because God rescued you out of the darkness and brought you into the light. Look at verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Everyone who does wicked things, that's us. Jesus says hates the light, hates the light. We just need to let those words of Jesus sink in. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his deeds Are exposed. You know, I travel and sometimes I'll be in a hotel and they have this mirror affixed to the mirror. There's like the big mirror in the bathroom, and then there's I think it's called a makeup mirror. It's this mirror that amplifies your face. (coughs) Don't ever look in that thing. (laughs) You know, you look in that big mirror and you think, I look pretty good. And then you look at that magnifying mirror and you go, I'm not as pretty as I thought. Boy. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, don't look in that big mirror of humanity by which you compare yourself to other people and think I'm pretty good. Look in the mirror of God's law and see exposed your wickedness, your love of the darkness, and see that you can't save yourself. Jesus, of course, is the light. When Jesus says that people hate the light, he's saying people hate him. People hate righteousness. Well, we see this in our own culture, don't we? Almost anything is accepted except holiness. You can say almost anything except the word of God. You can worship anything except for Jesus as God's only Savior. But Jesus says, if you're in the darkness of sin, you're in rebellion against God and you hate me. You see, this is important because a lot of people don't believe in Jesus, but they'll say something like, well, I don't believe in Jesus, but I think he's a good teacher. I think he's a prophet. I think he was a holy man. I thought he was a miracle worker. But Jesus says that's not the way it works either. Jesus says, you turn from your sins, you flee from the darkness into the light. Either you come to me or you hate me. You see, Satan wants us to think that we can sort of hold the world with one hand and hold Jesus with the other. But Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. He will either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. And so Jesus says, Nicodemus, look into the law. See that you are condemned. See that you have fallen short. Nicodemus, don't take me as one of the things you trust in you must take me as the only thing that you trust in. Jesus is answering an important question. Why is it, why is it that people don't flee to him, run to him, believe in him? I mean, after all, what is Jesus offering? He's offering eternal life, not based on anything you do, but based upon his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection. Why don't people run to Jesus? And Jesus tells us, it's worse than you think. People love the darkness, and they don't want their deeds exposed. Can we be honest for a moment? Before Jesus came into our life, we loved our sin. And we didn't want others to know that we loved our sin. Oh, the lengths that we'll go to ensure that others don't know the things that we've done the lengths that we'll go to project an image of ourselves that's nice and clean, when we know all the skeletons in the closet, we know where all the bodies are buried, we know the wicked things we've thought, we know the wicked things we've done, we've known even the good things we've done, but the evil intentions behind the good things. And Jesus pulls the curtain back on our self-righteousness. Jesus says, sin isn't just what you do, it is that. But it's also what you think. It's also what you love. It's the thing you think in your mind, but don't ever say, and people think, oh, you're such a good person. But they don't know the heart. But Jesus knows the heart. And Jesus is saying, everybody's done wicked things. Humanity is guilty. The verdict is in. We've all walked in darkness. We've all hidden from the light because we feared what would happen if anyone else knew who we really were. But Jesus is saying, I know who you are. And I know what you've done. I know every thought. Jesus says, I know every deed, every intention, every motivation. Jesus sees us in the dark, and he loves us in the dark. That's the amazing news of the gospel. The good news is only good news when you understand the bad news. The world is dead in sin. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus enters into the world. The Word became flesh, John says, and dwelt among us. This is why Christians believe in the incarnation. God became flesh. He entered into the world, into the dark, and lived a sinless life in the dark. And he was tempted in the wilderness And he stood righteous against temptation where all of us would have fallen and folded. Jesus is sinless. He is righteous. And he enters into the world not to condemn us, but to save us. Not to condemn us. Not that we're not guilty, but we're already condemned. Not to condemn us, not to shame us, but to save us. Jesus didn't come to condemn, to, but to save. Jesus is saying, That's my mission. Jesus' mission isn't to remind guilty people that they're guilty, but to tell guilty people that they can be forgiven, that they can be saved, that their sins can be forgiven by His sacrifice, by His blood atonement, by His death and resurrection. Oh, sure, Jesus calls people out. He tends to call the people out who pretend that they're good, who pretend that they're righteous, who are playing a game, who are hypocrites. And to those people, Jesus says, you're not clean, you're a whitewashed tomb, you are guilty. But to those who know they're guilty, Jesus says, I've come to save. Imagine you had a friend who got a bad tattoo. Maybe we've all known a friend who had a bad tattoo. Imagine you have a friend who got a tattoo, no regrets, on their forehead. (laughs) Only it was spelled N-O-R-E-G-R-I-T-S, no regrets. And you saw your friend with this misspelled tattoo on their forehead. And I'm guessing that that person doesn't need you to point out that it's misspelled. I'm guessing that person doesn't need you to point out that they've done something dumb something stupid, something they can't fix. Why not? Because they know that. They know that. What does your friend need? Your friend needs someone to come into their life and say, I can fix that. I can remove that. I can make it so those embarrassing words are gone and so that the skin is made new. That's the kind of friend you would need. And that's the kind of friend that Jesus is to sinners. He comes not to pronounce judgment, not because we're not guilty, but because we've already been condemned. The law exposes our sin. We can't even keep our own standards. I mean, how many rules for yourself do you break on a daily basis? No sweets today, and then somebody brings brownies into the office. You're going, here I am eating a brownie again. I can't even keep my own laws, let alone God's laws. And so, Jesus' mission is to save sinners who know they're sinners, who confess their sin, who agree with God about the sinfulness of their sin. And this is the amazing thing Jesus accomplished his mission. He died, he rose again, he ascended. He's calling sinners to himself, and he's willing to save anyone who believes in him. Jesus did what he came to do, he accomplished his mission. So Jesus' mission was to save. That's the first thing we learn. The second thing we learn is that Jesus' mission is to save, and only Jesus can save. Jesus' mission is to save, and Jesus is the only one who can save. So the good news is that Jesus doesn't want to come into your life to pile it on. He isn't here to pronounce judgment, that you're a sinner if you know you're a sinner. The law has already shown that you're a sinner, that you've fallen short. So Jesus doesn't beckon you to come to him so that he can berate you, belittle you, and crush you. Satan wants you to think that. Satan wants you to think that if I expose my sin to God, if I confess my sin, God will crush me! When actually, if you confess your sin, If you turn from your sin to Jesus, he won't crush you. He'll clean you. He'll save you. He'll give you eternal life. Jesus came to save, but he didn't come as one of many saviors. Not one of many options, but the only one who can save. He is the only begotten, one of a kind, son of God, the unique Savior, apart from whom there is no Savior, who else died for your sins? Nobody. What other God in the flesh died for your sins, paid the penalty for you, took your place in the earth, and then came out victoriously? Has anybody else ever done that for you? No. Only Jesus. And so Jesus is the only one who can save. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, You're not as good as you think. You are guilty, but I've come to save you if you will believe. This is referred to by theologians as the exclusivity of Jesus. The exclusivity of Jesus. And this is what the world hates. The world will never mind if we say Jesus saves, but they'll hate it if we say Jesus is the only one who can save. And Jesus is saying to us this morning, I'm the only one who can save. Jesus is a savior, but he's an exclusive savior. He's the one and only savior. Jesus doesn't help you save yourself. Jesus saves you. Jesus can't shout into the darkness, hey, clean yourself up. Jesus enters the darkness. He lives a sinless life. He atones for our sins. And by the power of his spirit, He brings faith where there is no faith. He brings life where there is no life. He he creates something out of nothing, just like he did at creation. Remember, at creation, there was nothing, and God spoke, and there was life. That's what he does in you. There's nothing righteous. Jesus speaks, and it is the power of his Spirit that saves. Jesus doesn't want to be one of the things you worship. He wants to be the only Savior that you worship, the only Savior, the only one who died for you, the only one who rose for you, the only one who reigns over you. Look at verse 17, that the world might be saved through him, through him. And this is the work of God. Look at verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It's God's work. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, man, you can't do it, but I can do it. In you. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So Jesus says all of humanity falls into two categories those who believe in Jesus and those who don't believe in Jesus. And those who don't believe in Jesus are condemned, and those who believe in Jesus are forgiven. Jesus says, Nicodemus. This is the way it is. And this is important because when you stand before God, the only thing that will matter is said right there in verse 18. Have you believed in the name of the only Son of God? Have you believed what I've preached? Have you believed what Jesus said? I'm not asking you to believe Adam. I'm asking you to believe Jesus. And Jesus says, Nicodemus... Your sins condemn you, but my mission is to save you. If you will believe that I'm the only one who can save, I will save. And so this is the question that this passage beckons. Have you turned from your sin to trust in Jesus to reign over you? Now there's a danger about this passage. There's maybe a false sense of security because you think, well, this is good news. Jesus didn't come to condemn, so I'm condemned, but Jesus didn't come to condemn, so I guess I'm good? Well, no, friends, because the Bible says that Jesus came in the flesh, born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. On the third day, he rose again. And then he ascended to heaven. That mission was to save, but the Bible says he's coming again. And when he comes again, he will come to judge the living and the dead. You see, when Jesus comes back, his mission when he returns is to rescue those who have believed and deliver them into eternal life so that we can enjoy all the promises that are ours in Christ that we sang about. But he will also separate the sheep from the goats. He will judge those who have rejected him. You can read about this in Revelation 19 and 20. Revelation 19 is amazing. It's a wedding In heaven, there's going to be a wedding. Did you know that? Did you know that you're invited if you're a Christian? Did you know that you're invited as a Christian not to be a guest, but to be a participant? Do you realize that Christians will be a part of the wedding party, the church, the bride, brought together with Christ for all of eternity? And we're invited to that if we believe But the Bible doesn't stop in Revelation 19. you got to read Revelation 20 because in Revelation 20, after the party, Jesus goes outside and he casts Satan into hell. And so we have this option. Are we going to be a part of the wedding as the bride of Christ or will we suffer the fate of Satan, eternal separation from God and judgment? And so these are the options that are before us eternal life or eternal judgment and jesus says i didn't leave heaven to condemn you i left heaven to save you jesus will either be your savior or he will be your judge and listen if jesus were to judge you according to your sins all of us will be found guilty but if you stand before him on that day clothed in his righteousness by faith He'll welcome you into eternity, not as a guest, but as his bride for eternity. So Jesus's words to Nicodemus matter for us. God did love the world. That's good news. The bad news is, is that if Jesus didn't love us, we would be lost. That's the bad news. And then there's an invitation. Will you receive Jesus as your savior? Or will you experience him as your judge? And these are the options before us. Jesus came on a mission to save, and only Jesus can save. And this morning, there's an invitation. And the invitation is, if you don't know where you stand with Jesus, Jesus says, listen, friend, you can turn from your sin and trust in me, and I'll cleanse you, and I'll forgive you, and I'll welcome you, and I'll save you. But if you don't, when you meet me, you will meet me as judge. And so what a gracious God to give us this invitation. And you can receive the free gift of salvation right where you sit, right as I pray. You can just cry out to God and say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I ask you to save me. I trust that your death and resurrection is all I need to be forgiven. I ask you to come into my life as the Lord of my life. I want to follow you and receive from you forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that each person here would leave new, born again. God, we thank you that Jesus came to save. If he didn't, we would have no hope. And God, I thank you that you allowed us this this conversation between Jesus and a guy who thought he was good. So that, Lord, you could expose the myth of our own inherent goodness. And you could call us out, because we need to be called out. But Lord, I pray that no one here would leave crushed, but they'd leave saved. I pray that they would leave having trusted in you, even right now, God. I pray if there's someone who doesn't know where they stand with you, that they would call out to you, that they would call out for forgiveness in Jesus, that they would would trust in you, that they would believe in you, that you, God, through your spirit, would do that in them right now. And I pray, Lord, that they would feel the weight of their sins forgiven. I I pray that they would feel the weight of their guilt and shame dissipate. And I pray, Lord, that they would run from the darkness and into the light, into the arms of a Savior who came to save. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.